Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast, the show that offers you tips and strategies to help speakers build the business of their dreams. Now, here's your host, 30-year industry veteran and business coach, Jane Atkinson. Hey, welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast, everyone. I'm excited to have my friend Barry Banther on with us today. We're going to talk about the future of the speaking business. Welcome, Barry. Thank you, Jane. I have looked forward to this. The only thing I wish is that we were sitting in the same room sharing coffee together. That would be very nice. I wish that too. Now, you come to us as the current national chair of NSA, which is the National Speakers Association. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But tell everybody about the rich history that you had in business prior to even getting into speaking. Well, thank you, Jane. I, as you can tell, after I've spoken for 60 seconds, I'm not from Boston. <laughs> I, went to school, I went to school north of Boston, but I didn't bring any of that back to the mountains of North Carolina, North Georgia. I grew up in a sawmill family. If you've seen a picture in, in an Appalachian picture book of a four-room shotgun house next to a sawmill, that was my experience. Wow. No member of my family had ever gone to college. I was about six when my father said, you're left-handed. You can't work in the mill. Now, my dad worked in the sawmill, my brothers, my grandfather. He said, you'll have to do something like teach or something. And that Christmas, I got a very special Christmas present that I still have. It was a Bobsy Twins book. My dad thought I needed to have books. And so what? What if you were in my study that I've been living in for the last 37 years, it's filled with those books. So off to college, I did go. I did not stay and work with my hands as my dad, dad did all his life. Spent the early part of my career in broadcasting. At 22, I was very fortunate to be named executive vice president or general manager of a broadcasting company. I was responsible for stations in Baltimore, Cincinnati, Toledo, Los Angeles, Miami, and Tampa. No cell phones, no computers. So every other week, I'm in Cincinnati on Monday, Toledo on Tuesday, LA on Wednesday, Miami on Thursday, Tampa on Friday, and I would drag back into Baltimore. However, I learned how to manage and lead people, first of all, by not doing it very well. As I talk about in my last book, A Leader's Gift, but then through that experience. And so from that, I began teaching communication and management in college, became a college president, and then uh, ended up serving in the administration of three governors in our state to oversee all private higher education. I was responsible for about a half million students, 106 colleges, and, and I was elected to three terms as chairman of the State Board of Independent Colleges and Universities. And those were all in Florida, correct? Those were all in Florida. And at the same time, I was writing leadership development programs. Uh, The first one that was one that was uh, immediately purchased through Rockwell Collins and Boeing. And so I began doing for the Fortune 50, those kind of uh, developing training programs, speaking at their corporate conferences. But it was in the early to mid 90s that I made the decision I wanted to focus on large, closely held or family owned businesses because I wanted to have a career with those companies. I wanted to influence them for more than just a moment on stage. Mm -hmm. And so I began developing that. My business model is pretty simple, Jane. I speak at a conference of business owners. I speak on generational transition, succession, C-suite leadership. Five or six will come up afterwards and say, I think you can help us. Mm -hmm. I respond with, I can't with integrity tell you I'm the right fit, but if we can speak, we'll see. Then my goal is to move them toward a retainer contract where I'm working with them every month. I'm very humbled. My longest one has been 24 years. They've paid me a retainer every month for 24 years. (laughs) I just did did my 150th something presentation in Atlanta for a client. Uh, The owner heard me speak. He said, I think you can help us. And here's what we've done for 12 years. 
First of the month, I will get an email. This is what our leadership team's facing, our management team's facing, our C-suite team's facing. I'll have a couple of weeks to put my presentation. If it's just a keynote or if it's a training program, I come in the last week of the month. In the morning, I have that group together. I speak to them. And then in the afternoon, some one-on-one coaching. And I've done that every month except December for the last 12 years. And I was lucky enough to catch you. I think you were in the car on the way to Atlanta. Yes, you were. That's right. That client who seems to have a very special relationship with you. 24 years on retainer with one company. That just speaks volumes of the good work that you do, Barry. Now, would you say that when you go and speak to these conferences that you're very selective and you cherry pick the right conferences because you've probably done the wrong conferences before in your history, right? <laughs> and you realize that, well, that was a big old waste of time. So tell me about who's the perfect audience for you. My perfect audience is an audience of business owners for the economic buyers in the room. The person that's listening to me has the authority to say yes and to write the check. Now, now a little bit of the inside story, when I'm creating that presentation for that group, and any of us who've been speaking very long, and I've been speaking professionally for over 30 years, we've gathered a lot of material. But what I try to do is make it very pertinent to that audience. And I'll give you a quick example. Let's suppose it's generational transition. And I had a conference recently or last year, an association made up of manufacturers who were all owned by families in a national association. So I'll share a problem that you often have in generational transition. And it goes like this. Do you want success or succession? If you ask me for succession, unless you're calling from London, I don't think that works. And maybe that doesn't work now. But if you're looking for success, let's determine what can help people become successful and let that be their future. If it happens to be the business, wonderful. But if not, let's not do it. Then I will tell a story about how I helped a family business with that. But I don't tell the whole story. I simply say, here was the problem, and then I worked with them, and now they're doing X. So that causes, in an audience of 500, a dozen of them will come up and say, can you tell me the rest of that story? I think that fits up. <laughs> so I use, I use the keynote to deliver value, but also to intrigue and try to find that person in an audience who says, what Barry did for them, I think he can do for us. Mm. So you're really painting that picture. And I like the term you know, audiences full of, with check writers in the room. Yes. Let's have that decision maker be right there. And I think that's very strategic and very smart. So, okay. For our listeners who are not familiar with NSA, the National Speakers Association, I have said it umpteen times on this show that everything I have ever learned I received at the feeders of the masters inside NSA and CAPS, Canadian Association of Professionals. And Tom Winninger, I just need to give him major props because his book at one and book at two series were the things that laid the foundation of my entire book of knowledge in the business. And I really think that I know what I've taken away from NSA and we've talked about the evolution of NSA. Tell everybody who aren't familiar with NSA what this association is all about. I would be happy to. Let me say a word about Tom. Mm -hmm. Tremendous mentor to me as well. And here's something I've not said publicly, but it's worth, I would want people to know it. Of course, we tragically lost Tom quickly this last winter. Uh, Three weeks before his passing, I got my last email from him. 
and the email was encouraging me about something we were doing. What a role model he was and remains for all of us. The National Speakers Association is the place to get professional development as a speaker, to do two things. One, help you become a better speaker from the platform, from the training room, from the consulting situation, from writing a book. But it's also, number two, the place to build your business of speaking. And today, the business of speaking, and Jane, no one has captured this better than you have in your, than you have in your online course, your most recent book on, on, on profitable speaking. I, I got a copy of it the minute I saw it, and I, I dove into it, and I'm already using several things in it and pivoting my business in a different direction. So thank you for that. So NSA is the place where you gather with other people, and you're going to learn something from the platform sessions. You'll learn something from the breakouts. And now we have a director of online learning. We have a whole virtual, we've got a whole a rapport of new things coming out, new webinars, peer connection groups, a way for you to get connected to people who will speak at your level with a mentor that will help you both grow. NSA is the place, whether it's at a national event, at a local chapter, or virtually to become a better speaker and build a better business. My business, thankfully, has grown every year. Since 1998, every year, that would be, what, 23 years we've grown year over year after what I've learned at NSA. And, and it's oftentimes the relationships you've built where you can pick up the phone and call someone quicker. You know, since the advent of the Internet, you can Google, how do I become a professional speaker? And there's lots of places to learn. What NSA does, it connects you in the relationships that will allow you to sustain and build a profitable and sustainable speaking business. Yeah, and I and one have one, real quick, Jane. One, well, I sure. forgot to say this. We're about to roll out in April, uh, and and it may already be out by the time this podcast is heard. Yes. We're rolling out a new. We're rolling out a new membership model, and you can become a digital member of NSA, where you don't have to be all in, but mm. you can have access to our vault. We have a speaker's vault, which is the largest collection of curated material for the speaking business to be a better speaker, build a better business in the world, and it's growing every day. So if someone's interested, go to the NSA website, nsaspeaker.org, and you'll see ways just to get connected digitally before you decide to get all in. Oh, that's really good. I love that. You know, and we've talked a lot about how NSA is evolving and changing. And one of the things I'm curious about, because my own client was asking me recently, was what is the membership threshold now to become a member? So that's now I will defer to our president, Mary Lou Peck, if I don't get this exactly right. <laughs> so you can you can become a digital member by paying okay. a very reasonable fee. Okay. And you have you have all of our online services available to you. Now, I'll give you an example. We have a new monthly webinar series coming out as a digital member. You have access to that webinar series recorded. You can go in and watch the recording. Sure. The next level is essential. And essential is like what we currently have is our pro membership. If you are an essential member and it's relatively the same fee people pay now, then you have access to the webinar live and you have access to the follow up to the webinar. So essential is the entry level of membership. Okay. We do not have there is no longer a financial requirement or a number of speeches requirement. And here's why. Because today, people that are pivoting, as you know, to become a professional speaker, they want to get in immediately and begin to grow. So we don't want to we don't want people to have to climb, climb over a wall to get to us. Okay. We want to build a fire and let them get as close as they can. Okay. So as an essential member, 
uh, you can be a member without having those number of speeches. However, something new that's rolling out are called peer connection groups and mastermind groups. So there's going to be a mastermind group for people that are at the entry level. They're doing 25, let's say, to $100,000 a year. Mm-hmm. If you are an essential member, then you get to be in one of those mastermind groups if you choose at no additional fee. I don't believe there's any additional fee for that. Mm-hmm. So you're immediately with a group of people at your level of business. If you are a digital member, that's not available to you. So no longer a requirement that you have done so many speeches or made so much money to be an essential member because we want you to get into a group immediately and start growing. Now, you can't get into the group until you've generated that much revenue. You're still at the essential or the entry level. Okay, fair enough. I think I got it, Barry, and I really applaud NSA for growing and evolving in this time of unprecedented change. One other thing I want to give you kudos for, though, Barry, is the diversity. I've gone now a couple of times to look at the board of directors and the board members. And for the first time, I am seeing, well, I don't know, maybe it's been going on for a few years and I wasn't looking, but I am looking now. And I am seeing a reflection, a more balanced reflection of diversity. There's more women there's more people of color. There are. There just seems to be a nice round. Uh, there seems to be more inclusivity. Is that something that was really intentional by NSA? Very intentional. Uh, this last spring of 2020, when our nation went through, our world went through a social crisis, I appointed one of our leading board members, uh, Dr. Shirley Davis, who is a world-recognized expert on diversity, equity, inclusion. She has been leading a team within NSA where we're doing new training for our board, new training for our chapters. We do intentionally look at that as it relates to board members and leaders who's on the platform, but we're not doing it. We're not. The requirement is not simply that this person is qualifies for diversity. It's because we have a tendency to overlook those people and some of the most successful, most prolific, and best speakers, trainers, coaches, and consultants in the world are people of color, underrepresented communities, ethnic groups that you don't normally see. And this is a strange example in my own life. What changed my life in those mountains of Western North Carolina, North Georgia, when I was 15, the number one prep school in the world did a program where they reached out to underprivileged boys and gave them an opportunity to spend a, a term at their school. Now, Had I applied, they would have been open to it. I I didn't even know they existed at that level. And my life changed because of that. So we're reaching out to underrepresented groups, many of whom don't even know there is an NSA because we've never been on their radar and they've not been on ours. So this is not this is not quotas by any means. It's recognizing that a significant number of people who are doing a very good job of speaking, want to become a speaker, want to grow as a speaker, trainer, coach, or consultant, are from from an underrepresented community, and we want them to see themselves when they come to us. This is all about building a stronger association because that's exactly what diversity and inclusion does. Mm, Beautiful. One of the things that I am recognizing through the new platform that many of us are a part of called Clubhouse is how many speakers, people have speaker in their title, and there are thousands and thousands of them that I don't know, Barry, and that maybe you don't know, and NSA doesn't know. And so I see that as a huge opportunity, and I know Tom Singer 
is doing a, a lot of speakernomics. Uh, that's the new podcast that uh, NSA has. And I'm hoping that he'll be able to draw a lot of people more into our world because I'm thinking, wow, this platform, I don't know why the other platforms never did that for me, but this platform has shown me how just a teeny, teeny, tiny little segment of the market I have had exposure to so far. Well, you couldn't be you couldn't be closer and spot on target. A couple of thoughts about that. I spoke with an association leader last year. They have about 3000 members, about a thousand of whom speaking is a significant part of what they do. Hmm. And I asked the question and, and they are primarily from what would be considered an underrepresented group, primarily Asian Americans. Okay. So I asked the question, I said, why don't they see us as their association for professional development? He said, well, Barry, there's two reasons. One, they don't want to be known as a speaker uh, because they're, they're subject matter experts, but speaking and building their speaking business is very important. And he said, number two, when they typically go to an NSA event, they don't see themselves by age, by gender, by race, et cetera. Here's something I said to two of our NSA chapters this weekend. Nobody woke up this morning and said, I've got to hire a speaker, or very few. Thousands of people woke up and said, I've got a problem to solve or an opportunity to achieve. Right. I believe I believe the best books are yet to be written, the best speeches are yet to be given, but the marketplace has shifted where it's not so much about the speaker, but it's about your expertise. For example, we know that bureaus are now booking influencers. Well, those influencers who don't have platform experience they need to become part of NSA. Not that they'll become influencer-speaker. They'll be an influencer, but we'll help them be a better speaker and build a better speaker speaking business. Right. And we've always said, let's put expert at the top of the umbrella because speaking is just one of the ways that you distribute your knowledge. And so one does not negate the other. Um, building your speaking business actually means building your business as a whole. So, Jane, here's the way I look at it. Not everyone agrees with this, and I, I would be interested in your take on it. I often hear our colleagues talk about being an entrepreneur. Well, I've worked with entrepreneurs my entire life. Mm -hmm. I don't. I really don't think that's a good model. The entrepreneurs I know take every dime they can, borrow every dime from their relatives, break open their kids' piggy bank, <laughs> and they're, they're desperately trying to invest in building a product, building a brand, building software, and then they hit the big ticket and they sell it and they do it all over again. It's not what we do. I think we're more like artists. In fact, hold on. I think we're more like country music artists. And <laughs> okay. I think I think one of our role models, and I don't have his biography in here. It's in the other room. Willie Nelson. His biography is entitled It's a Long Story. Mm -hmm. Willie was asked, why are you out on the road in your 80s? He said, look, I write songs about life. And he said, this is where life is. Now, here's where I think we compare. A, a songwriter like Willie or Dolly, they write intellectual property and they sell it. Sometimes they sell it with their own voice. Sometimes they sell it through music to other people. Sometimes they sell it through the television, through the movies. And when that intellectual property gets kind of saturated, they go away in the bus and they create some more intellectual property. That's what we do. We take intellectual property and we put it in a speech. We put it in a book. We put it on a video. We put it in a training class. And when that begins to wear, we go away and we have a retreat and we create some more. So I think it would help us to view ourselves more like artists creating intellectual property. And if we don't want to be a cover band in the Holiday Inn, if we want to be like Dolly, take that expertise and cascade it over the speaking platform, the consulting platform, the training platform, the book platform, the video platform, et cetera. For me, that's a better model. 
I'm okay with that, provided, one caveat, that it's not struggling artists. A lot of artists that we know, not like Dolly or Willie, are not very good business people. And so let's just add to that that you still need to be a good business person. Are you okay you, with that? You, when I speak to chapters, I tell them there are three. If you want to build a sustainable, profitable, and enjoyable speaking business, it takes mm-hmm. three things. First, it takes cognitive competency, three competencies. First, it takes cognitive competency. What do you know or what do you know how to do that someone else will pay for? Mm-hmm. But that's not enough. You've also got to have communication counseling and you've got to keep practicing just because you won a speech contest in college, as you know, it's not enough. So yes. whether it's rhetorical from the platform, interpersonal and in coaching, whether it's small group and training, you've got to have a cognitive competency. You've got to have a communication competency. But those two alone won't be enough. There's a third one, and that's your corporate competency. You've got to understand finance, operations and marketing. And finance is all about how do I price this? And I go into pretty deep detail about how you take your profit first, et cetera. I have three metrics that I get every every Friday. Every Friday about five o'clock, my team sends me an email. And here's what it tells me. Yeah. How much how much cash is in the bank? Mm-hmm. What do we have in accounts receivable that we're owed? Okay. And what have we contracted but not yet billed? Okay. Cash in the bank. Accounts receivable, contracted, not yet built. Speeches we haven't given, consulting we haven't done. That adds up to a number. If that number is below a certain threshold, then I can't play golf Saturday. I got to be on the phone. I got to be selling. However, here's where it really helps me at this stage of my career. If that number's too high, I know we've got to be careful. We may have sold more than we can deliver. Everybody's got to determine their dashboard, but you're exactly right. You can have you can know what to do or know what how to do something. You can be great from the platform or the training room, but without knowing how to build a business, you'll not be able to sustain it very long, and you'll be a one-hit wonder. Uh, Barry, I regret not interviewing you and having that piece exactly in the scaling your business book that you mentioned earlier, because I think that those, I think keeping our we talk about analytics and how important analytics are. And you have got a system for analytics that makes it come to you automatically. I will not go digging on every Friday, but if it came to me every Friday, I think that would be a really good- Well, and in fact, I I can't remember where it was. It was, you were on a panel. I remember hearing you talk about this and I'd already started doing it, but I went a whole lot deeper after that. I'm sorry, it may have been Dallas. I can't remember where it was, but it was you and two or three other speaker coaches and speaker advisors. And I remember you talking about the analytics and how important it was. It's important to me. Yeah. Well, smart, smart, smart. I knew, I knew you were smart. Okay. So let's talk about the industry and what we see happening. And and an interesting little side element to this is that the National Speakers Association just finished, would you say its first ever kind of virtual winter workshop? And yes. how did it change what they as an association? Because if NSA is doing it, people think about all the other associations out there who are your target market, who are going to be doing it this way as well. Give us some insight into what happened at Winter Workshop a few weeks ago. So in the interest of time, I'll, I'll scale it down a bit. But Mary Lupek, our president, and at, and at this one, we had a great uh, two great hosts and and John Petz and, and, and Pamela Ann Miller, who really did an astounding job for us. But here's what they created. We had a virtual component working with our with our 
a contractor who did both the the online uh, site, the the app, as well as the visual AV people in the room. So we had a strong component virtually. Mm-hmm. Then at the same time, we had people in the room, and the people in the room were taking part in it in person. Then our host, our MCs, were also working with the virtual audience in between breaks, etc. Here's something that was a serendipity for us. We had people sitting in the room taking part in person who had their iPads open to the online chat. So they're having a conversation about the speaker's message with their colleagues that are virtual. And Mm. and a gentleman sitting next to me said, I hope I never attend another NSA event that I can't be watching in person or virtual. And I can be chatting with my colleagues at the same time. Here's where I think it's going, Jane. Uh, Meetings as we've known them are going to become multi-level platforms. Right. So you may be you may be presenting on the stage or at the same conference, you may be presenting virtually, or you may be a host for what's happening online, mm-hmm. or you may be a subject matter expert. So someone's speaking, imagine Alan Weiss is speaking on how to develop corporate business, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there's another speaker who's not on the platform, but they're in the Q&A answering questions while Alan's speaking. So I believe... Uh, I forget who said it to us, and I wish I could give her credit. She mentioned this in her presentation. The pandemic, COVID, has been a gift to our profession. It's been a gift to our profession because now meeting planners, corporate leaders, associations, they're going to be open to multi-platforms where we can cascade our expertise, speaking on camera, on stage, facilitating in the Q&A, in the chat, doing a presentation from the stage, going backstage and getting on with the virtual and doing a virtual presentation. And it was an area, frankly, I had done very few virtual presentations. Mm -hmm. One of my major worldwide clients, a large public company, asked me to do a program. I keynoted their conference last January in Phoenix. Then I was grateful. The chairman immediately said, we want you for the next conference in August. Well, it got postponed. And he said to me, he said, look, as soon as we're back meeting, we'll have you. I said, well, how about what these leaders needed? He said, Barry, I can't put 500 people on a Zoom. I said, let's do this. Let's put 50 at a time and I'll make it very interactive. And at the time, I didn't know what was coming. I just wanted to save the fee. He said, would you be willing to do it? I said, sure. Now, if I keynoted for him again, it was going to take me three days, a day to get there, do the keynote, a day to get home. Doing the 10 one-hour Zooms took me about a day and a half. But he called me back after I did the last Zoom. He said, Barry, as soon as we're in person, you're going to be our opening keynote. However, our leaders in Southeast Asia, South America, and Europe, they love that format and they want to keep doing it. So now with that client that in 2019, I I thought all all I could ever do was an onstage presentation. Mm -hmm. I now have a contract for an onstage keynote, but also for a virtual, if we want to call that, smaller presentation, more interactive with the smaller group. It's a pandemic. The pandemic is a gift to our business, Jane, if we can see that there's so many more opportunities coming to us. There really is. And I believe, so I've been doing a little bit of research with people that I've done sessions with on Clubhouse. And so we're getting some interesting intel coming down the pipe. First first one was, well, there's not ever going to be hybrid meetings. There's just going to be meetings and they're all going to be hybrid. They're all going to have both on-site and off-site element. But then I heard from MPI, I uh, interviewed Lori Pugh Markham, and she said that it's really expensive to do both at the same time simultaneously. So tell me, based on the experience of NSA, do you think that 
it will always that will always have an off-site element of every on-site meeting now going forward knowing that that's that expensive so in my term as chair i get to see a little bit behind the scenes of the yeah. hotels so there are two things that will cost you your firstborn child in both arms <laughs> coffee and wi-fi and, I know. and I'm talking, I'm talking about six figures. So imagine you've got a conference and you've got three sessions in the ballroom and it's going to cost you a hundred thousand dollars plus to be able to broadcast that out of that ballroom. At the same time, you can record it and do it the very next day with a virtual audience. Yeah. And it perhaps will even be better for them. So I think she's right. I think we're okay. going to have, we're going to have a variety. We'll have some that'll be virtual and in person. Some that will be on site and the next day or that night, it's being done from another studio and it's being done virtually. I, I believe what's happened, we've got major disruption in how meetings are held. Mm -hmm. And as speakers, this is our opportunity to be able to fit in whichever one of those is necessary. Yeah. And not everybody is going to want to do all of the things, you know, mm -hmm. you may decide that I'm perfect for this and this is where I'm going to stick. And I'll have to pass on things that come my way that aren't inside what's perfect for me. But I think the speaker who can be flexible in terms of what's even coming. So we've had to be flexible for this past year, but probably coming up for one or two more years, we're going to be seeing meetings just getting better and better and better. And watching uh, Kelly Swanson walk out with all of the screens, Tony Robbins style, and her dancing in the middle of all these people on these big iMags around her. I just thought that's the future. And I think it's really cool. I think the, like the Grammys have done, the Oscars have done, I think the entertainment factor for those speakers who are primarily entertainment or infotainment. I think you're exactly right. I spend a good bit of time every morning with McKinsey, with Bain, online with some of the larger consulting companies so that I'll understand how I can pass on the best advice to my clients. Here's what they're saying. They're saying that the industrial revolution took about a 40-year window and they're making the argument. And I like their advisors because I never see any of them on television. So I know they're not doing this as a shtick. So they say that already 2020 was set to be the beginning of a major shift because of technology. But what we did in 40 years in the Industrial Revolution, we're going to do in 10 years between 2020 and 2030. And recently, they're saying they now think it'll be even quicker, like 2027. So just mm -hmm. as with the Industrial Revolution, Jane, we're at the beginning of a sea change in our culture. There will be meetings and they're, and they're probably going to be radically different than anything we can think about. So I try to encourage my NSA colleagues, here's what will remain the same. We have to be the best expert we can possibly be. And by that, I mean, we have to know our cognitive competency. And uh, I'd love to demonstrate this right quick. Can we do this right quick? Absolutely. So I'm going to do it with you, Jane. Just, just play along with me. And those of you listening, I didn't prepare for this. So Jane, when you speak, what is your topic? Well, I show speakers how to make more money. Showing speakers how to make more money. How do you mean that, Jane? How do I mean? How? What do you mean? <laughs> how do you mean that? When you say you help speakers make more money, how, how do you mean that? Well, we have a process that we take them through called Ready, Aim, Fire, and we mm -hmm. build on that process and show them exactly how to lay the foundation and then scale from there. Can you give me an example of where that's worked? You don't have to name the person, but can you give an example of how that's really worked? 
Well, I hold them out as a poster child all the time. So I'll hold out uh, Ryan Estes going from a day job where he is speaking on the side. Fast forward another, you know, five, seven years, and he's earning a million dollars a year as a professional speaker. So did what you do for him really make that difference? Did it really make a difference in his career? I would say that it was me and a lot of other things, but yes, I would say that giving him the foundations to scale from was very helpful for him. Stop right there. You you just identified your cognitive competency. Now, it's wonderful to say I help speakers make more money, but listen to what you just said. Ah. I gave him the tools to scale confidently. Mm. Now, people pay. Nobody woke up this morning saying, I'd like to pay somebody to show me how to make more money as a speaker. Maybe a few, but how many woke up this morning and said, Gosh, I wish I knew how to scale this. I wish I had the confidence to scale this and make more money. So let me go back and, and, and unpack what we just did. It's just three questions. And I would encourage all of your audience. Okay. Write down, write down your topic. Here's my topic. Put these in the show notes too. Yes, okay. Good. So write down your topic. And then here's the first question. How do you mean that? And here's the second question. Can you give me an example of that? Here's the third question. Where did that really make a difference? And what comes out of your mouth on the third question that's what somebody's looking to pay for. We did a brand study a few years ago with our business. I was pleased at the answer from our clients, but surprised. Here was the overwhelming answer. We hire Barry to speak or to consult with us because we know we're going to be in trouble this year. We don't know what it's going to be, but we want Barry in trouble with us. So they pay for me to be their partner in trouble. Now, we don't market he's your partner in trouble. We market all the standard things. But when I'm doing my first conversations with that decision maker, I want to discover what trouble do they see coming because I know that's what they'll value. And for you, when you're in that first conversation with the speaker, getting down to scaling, the confidence to scale, the tools to scale. And so this is where I think we are as a speaker going into this change in our culture. This is our best moment ever because we're more than just being a presenter on a platform and we have an expertise and we can cascade that over many different uh, what platforms we can do it on stage, virtually online, in a book, training, et cetera. So I think it's our best time. But what we have to become, and you, you've taught us all this so well, we have to become relevant to what that organization or that association needs right now. And you've just helped us uh, identify through these three or four questions how mm-hmm. to really get there. And we've not ever done that that succinctly. So yay. Thank you for that. Sure. Tell me what the name of this revolution that we're saying it's either going to be 2020 to 2030 or 2020 to 2027. What's the name of this next? Yeah, you, if, you go- now, I, if you Google this, if you Google, uh, you know, change that's coming in the next 10 years, there are different authors. Uh, I'm sorry that I can't bring one up right now because I'm in these discussions where we're talking about the principles and not the, not the people that did the original IP. But there's not a succinct name for it because it's changing so rapidly. Right. So, so for example, uh, here's an illustration McKinsey gave on the technology side. Prior to the pandemic, a company would consider a major IT change and they would work on it. They would pilot it. It would take about six to nine months. And in about a year, they would roll it out. That was the process prior to 2020. From March of 2020 till now, here's the process. We come up with the idea on Monday. We develop it by Wednesday. We roll it out on Friday. Look at what restaurants did. Restaurants had to go from come into our restaurant to we're going to deliver it. We're going to provide a menu for you. There's takeout for you. So it's a it's a radical change in how people are connected. 
And that connection will determine what kind of meetings they want, how they gain information, how they connect to each other, something else they've been talking about, no name yet. And, and they're very positive about Zoom, don't misunderstand me. But Zoom into Teams are to the coming technical revolution what the Model A was to automobiles. Wow. The, the, the Model A was unbelievable. You could get in this vehicle without a horse and you could go. But does it compare to a Corvette or a Lamborghini? So rest assured in Silicon Valley, everybody that creates software that we can use like this, Clubhouse is an example, something's, and all of that's going to cascade quickly. We will probably be delivering presentations a year from now in a radically different platform that none of us could name today. Mm, that's so interesting. I wonder if we'll be flying there in our cars. <laughs> <laughs> our electric cars. I'm waiting for the flying electric car to come. Okay, so in terms of change, one of the things that I want to make note of, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, First, the bar was set that if you delivered virtual well, you were in, but then continued to evolve. And I think that clients have gotten more and more sophisticated. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have all the bells and whistles and all the equipment. But what I actually see is changing the playing field again is the level of engagement that you're capable of. There was something that you must have done with those 50 people 10 times in a row that engaged them, Barry. What do you think about engagement as being kind of the next raising of the bar? Well, I think you're exactly right, and I would expect you to be out front on that. Here's how that came to be in my career. Prior to doing those 10 presentations, I was scheduled to be the middle keynoter. I wasn't the opening, but I was a keynoter for a major association, major wholesalers association. So I'm working with their team out of Nashville, putting together my program, and I'm doing it virtually from our home in the North Carolina mountains. And the producer asked me, he said, now, we'll just have you on the camera. We'll do it webinar style, and we'll have the chat closed while you're speaking. And I don't know why I said this. I said, well, I wouldn't do that. He said, well, Barry, if you don't have it closed, they won't listen to you. I said, but they'll be talking to each other. Let's, let's see what that's worth. In, in fact, do me a favor. Let's record the chat. And after I do this one hour presentation, we'll take what the chat seemed to be talking about. And I will write seven, three paragraph emails that we can send out for the next seven weeks responding to the chat. Well, it was, it was like, you know, <laughs> I, I brought water to a man who never, who was dying of thirst and it worked, it worked amazingly well. So now when I'm doing a keynote, I say to the producer, look, it's not about them listening to me. I, I'm the vehicle. It's about them talking to each other. Trust me. These people can be trusted to talk to each other without getting into a sports discussion or the weather. And I'm going to build into my virtual presentation deliberate times when I'll say, I don't have time to develop this, but why don't you guys get on the chat and debate it? And then I move on. Oh, interesting. So now here's the other thing that came to me. I was able to get the number of people that were in the chat from that presentation for the wholesalers. Mm -hmm. So now when I have a new prospect call me, Barry, we would like for you to speak virtually, but can you do that? I will say, well, let me tell you my opinion. It's not about me on the screen. It's not about staring at this old face on a computer screen. What if I could tell you that through my presentation, I could get 40% of your members talking to each other about the topic you want me to present. You can do that. I said, I can guarantee it. And so now in my virtual presentation, I build in dares and challenges 
hmm. because I want afterwards to be able to say to the to the meeting planner or the decision maker, we had 70% of your audience online talking about this. Now, wouldn't it make sense that we kept that conversation going? And I can help you do that. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. And I do think that you don't necessarily have to have every bell and whistle no. in order to make that happen. And so uh, for those of you who are feeling really technologically at a disadvantage here, I think you can make up for it in engagement. For those who have the setup, great, good on you. This is this is going to be the next thing. And maybe you've already figured that out. But I just like the idea of raising the bar in that perspective. Well, that came to me because I'm not that tech savvy and and I don't like to feel stuck when I'm in a presentation. I really like for it to be. And here's another thing I encourage speakers. And I've done this for 25 years, really practice and get involved in improvisational theater. Mm. Because I'll give you an example. I do a keynote where I come out on stage. First words out of it's a leadership keynote. If there's 500 people or less in the audience, it works. I step on the stage and I say, let me be honest with you. You probably don't need me or any other overpaid speaker to come here and tell you for an hour how to be a leader. Could we switch this around? Do me a favor. Think of a leader that you've known. What was that quality that you admired that you said, I want to be like that? Take a minute, write that down. In fact, turn to the people next to you and take three minutes and share it with each other. And they do that. Then I look at them and I say, OK, on the on the IMAG or on the big board, we're just going to list these. I, I'm interested to know what you think. And so I'll go over here. I'll say, all right, to this table, what was one quality? And they'll say integrity. It goes up. And then I do a 90 second, two minute story about integrity. And we do that. And in an hour, we've listed about 30 of them. And at the end, I say, how many of these 30 came from this overpaid speaker and how many came from you? Oh, they all came from us. I said, well, that's because you own your own truth. Now, you know what you've done? You've developed your own 30 week leadership development plan because you said these are the things you want to get better at. When the meeting's over, it always the, the, the decision maker, the meeting planner says, can you help us with the 30? I said, I can. <laughs> yeah. Now, and so then for 30 weeks, we sent we sell them a package to send out an, e an email and it was their employees own ideas. Now, recently, not recently, but prior to the pandemic, I, I had a president come up to me and he said, I think I figured your stick out. He said, you knew what they were going to say, didn't you? <laughs> I said, you know, I've been working on leadership issues and writing about leadership for 30 years. Yes, there are about 60 to 70 common areas. And yes, we've already written all the material. And yes, I've stacked in my head the illustrations for all 70. So it doesn't matter what they say. I've got an illustration I can immediately bring to bear. But to them, it's improvisational. You and I both know that improvisational theater is rooted here. It's not rooted here. So, so for me, that works. That may not work for everyone else. That gives me a lot of ideas on you know how you could have your PowerPoint open and your slide deck. So I'm a Mac girl and the slide deck kind of rolls about and you could just say, okay, I see this one. Courage is on the thing. I'm going to pop yes. on the Courage PowerPoint. Oh, yes. Brilliant. Being yes. able to just go wherever you need to go in the conversation and being able to back that up with the technology. And, and here's the guy to follow up with on that. You know, Stephen Shapiro? Oh, I sure do. Stephen does something like that. He's He, he can pull it off technically. I don't have the confidence, but Stephen Shapiro does that. He is just, uh, we've had Steve on the show before. He was a client of mine years ago and uh, absolutely love him. And he's got a great virtual demo, by the way. We should put oh, it yes. 
that, go take a look at Steve's virtual demo. And I think that will spawn some ideas for you. Now, you reminded me when you were coming out on stage, uh, Joe Calloway really was always coming at it from a very similar stance where it's like, hey, I'm just here as your reporter. You all are probably a lot smarter than me. Like he always uh, really had this humble Nashville, Tennessee vibe going. And uh, you just reminded me of that. So I don't know if he learned from you or you learned from No, him. he didn't. Joe, Joe's never learned anything from him. We, we have some of his family I happen to know in common. So no, I've seen Joe do that. And he does that very, very well. Yeah, yeah. Well. And it's very genuine by Joe. It's very yes. genuine. Yes, as and it is with you as well, Barry, and I appreciate that and I admire that. I admire the leadership that you have brought to the table with the National Speakers Association and just I've followed your, um, you know, even politically, you know, I kind of come to you for comfort sometimes. And so <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much. <laughs> Barry Benther for being a great leader in our industry. We appreciate you and appreciate you being on the show today. My pleasure. I'm so grateful for what you've done for thousands of speakers and what you're doing now. And with the Wealthy Speaker Online Program, we're excited at NSA to promote that. And thank you, Jane, for being so special to all of us. You heard it here first, folks. So if you've been listening in, I want to say thank you all for uh, joining us today. I bet you wrote down some really great nuggets. And with that, we will say, see you soon, Wealthy Speakers. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. If you need help building the speaking business of your dreams, head over to WealthySpeakerSchool.com and take advantage of our 20-minute next-step call. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast.